God, thank you for this morning, and I thank you for uh, Luther and what you're doing in Liberia, and I pray that you would continue to bless him even today, um, God, that he would sense your goodness and your faithfulness and be encouraged by that. And God, we just thank you for an opportunity to be in your word this morning. I pray that your word would illuminate our hearts, your Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us in all the things that we need to know and learn, and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, in the past couple weeks here, we've been talking about uh, the church. We've been talking about the church and that as followers of Jesus, we've been, ta- we've been saying and we've been learning that we are the church. This isn't the church. We are the church. And as the church, we've been given this very res- specific responsibility of what we've been calling it, this, this mission. Okay, this mission is to make disciples that in turn can make disciples, okay? I, want to, I know you're, I'm saying something that you're going, yeah, I've heard that for decades, Rob, make disciples. But really, we are to take this mandate seriously and to figure out, okay, what does that mean then for me? What does that mean for our church? What does it mean that Jesus specifically had a mandate for every single believer to make disciples, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, first of all, I want to make sure on number one on your notes, right off the bat, that we understand, we talked about this last week, disciples. Disciples are people that are, hello, disciples, people who are in the process of learning to adhere to the, and imitate the life and teachings of Jesus. So this is what a disciple is, okay? Simply put, Okay, disciples are people who are in the process of learning to adhere to and imitate the life of teachings of Jesus. Sounds simple, right? Well, in one sense it is, but in another sense, it's incredibly difficult and incredibly in, uh, huge task to do. And we saw that although, though because we have this enemy, remember we talked about the enemy will do anything possible, anything and everything to thwart us at every turn, in, or, in making disciples. He'll use fear. He'll use, what, he'll use our inadequacy that we constantly think that we have to own. All these things that he will do. And so in, because of that, it's important that we understand how desperately we need each other. We desperately need one another. We saw that as followers of Jesus, remember, we are part of, we are all part of the body of Christ and that every single member of the body plays a vital role, okay? And we all play a vital role. What does that mean? Well, the reality is we play a vital role in helping one another to become more mature in our faith in order that we can fulfill the mission. Did you know that that's part of the disciple-making process? Part of the disciple-making process is us spurring one another on in our maturity of Christ so that we can then go and make disciples. See, in our individualistic society that we live in, we just always assume that this mandate or this, this proclamation of the Great Commission was sent to me as an individual. And it is. But it's not meant to be completely fulfilled as an individual. We can't do it alone. We just can't. It's impossible. That's why we need each other so much. We saw that maturity happens, remember, as we grow in unity, as we share life with one another. Remember, we talked about this phrase, with gospel intentionality. As we share it that, that way, by speaking the truths of the gospel 
into, into each other's lives in ways that help us to remember to get our thinking lined up with what is true about Jesus and our new life in him. So often what we need to hear from a brother or for a sister or someone else is just simply not necessarily, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Here's some advice, which might be okay. Ultimately, though, what we need to hear from each other is, who are you in Jesus? Maybe what lie are you believing that is not helping you understand who you are in Christ here? Your anxiety about this or your anger or your jealousy or whatever. How do we speak to one another into that in a way that helps them to understand how my identity in Christ should impact how I'm responding and how I'm thinking about this. I think this is something that we've really lacked in the church. Not just saying our church, I'm saying in general. I have, I've grown up in the church. I've been, a, I've been a follower of Jesus since I was 12, okay? I don't, I, I've heard a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of good talks and I've got a lot of good advice and things like that. But I got to tell you, it doesn't seem like as I look back, so often the advice and the conversations were pointed, pointing me to Jesus, were pointing to my identity in Jesus, all about saying, okay, wh the, what Jesus did for me, how should that impact how I'm thinking about this situation? What Jesus has done for me, who I am in Jesus, how should that impact how I see this situation? That's what we need to be learning to do with one another more and more and more. And it takes practice. It's like learning a foreign language. It really is. Think about it. To learn a foreign language, what's the best way to learn a foreign language, by the way? Be immersed in the foreign language. By far being, I remember I've tried to learn Spanish many times, but it's not until I moved to the Dominican Republic and lived there and worked and lived amongst Spanish-speaking people. We were only there a year and a half. By the end of the year and a half, we had a Spanish-speaking only pastor in our living room, and we had at least an hour-long conversation with him. I didn't understand everything. But I totally got, after a year and a half, and it was only because we were immersed in it. We were hearing it all the time. And in the Latin culture, it was loud all the time. <laughs> and the radio is everywhere. So it helps. So you understand, we need that. We need to be immersed in situations and in gatherings and in times when we're just even one-on-one -on -one or even as a group speaking the gospel into one another's life because it takes practice. And we saw that we talked about last week that this happens best when we as a church are providing and we as individuals are participating in environments or spaces that intentionally facilitate us helping one another to be better equipped, to be better understand, to be better challenged in what it means to live out the gospel, what it means to make disciples. Does that make sense? Being around it, just soaking in it, because we don't live in that. I mean, it's not like, I'm not talking about a commune here. We, have, we live in the world here, and that's right, and that's right that we do. But we need to have places where we go and where we gather, where we are experiencing this kind of thing happening. Well, I asked at the very end of the sermon last week, I asked this question. I asked if you would be willing to commit to pray that the Lord would show us as a community of faith, as a community of faith, what, what we are, how, if we'd be willing to do what, what is necessary to facilitate this happening in our church, whether it's a thing that, whether it's something that we establish or whether it's something we are within the things that we're already doing right now, how can we be that kind of church? 
that is speaking the gospel into one another's lives regularly. Because the question is, how do we go about having the courage, wisdom, strength, and power to make sure that we are being the disciple-making people and the disciple-making church that God is calling us to be? How do we do that? How do we make sure that I, that you, are being disciple-making people, but we're also part of a disciple-making church that God wants us to be? What does that look like? How do we, how do we even know what that looks like? Well, guess what? We're going to spend probably quite a long time <laughs> looking, many, many, many weeks, I don't know yet how many, but many weeks looking at that, because this is where the book of Acts comes in and really helps us out. Number two on your notes, the book of Acts is an exciting look at what the church, the body of Christ is intended to look like and how it or we are intended to impact one another's lives and the lives of those around us. Yet it also points to the source of the power that makes this possible. So this is what the book of Acts is about, and this is what we're going to be marinating for many, many weeks as we go verse by verse through, like I said, I don't know if we're going to go through the whole thing. Um, I don't know if we'll be alive that long, but we're going to go. We're going to go for a while, okay? So this morning as we begin our series in Acts, we're going to start by just looking at really uh, the, the first half of the book, first uh, chapter, which really it sets the scene for the entire message of the book, okay? I wanted to take a bigger chunk uh, and so we would have less to do, spend time doing this less and less. But you know what? This, this is, is such a rich section right here that really sets the whole mood. So let's look at it. Acts chapter 1, verse three verses says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we see here right away, we see that the book of Acts is actually a continuation of writings to this guy named Theophilus. Okay, since the writer, he even says he references this first book that he wrote to him. And we really, so how do we know that it was Luke? Well, we can really ascertain in many different ways throughout if we really studied this. But really, the best way to find out, okay, is this really Luke that's writing this? If we look back at Luke's gospel, if you look back at the very first couple verses of Luke's gospel, he says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, in other words, Everybody else has tried to compile all these things that have happened with the disciples as they were doing this thing with Jesus. Just as those whom from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, as in I was one of the disciples, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. 
Okay, so we see here that Luke first wrote to Theophilus, probably, he's probably either this, this high social or high government official, and really what he, obviously what he was doing in his first book was writing him to help assure him in his faith, to help him out, to strengthen him, which was probably, I would, we would guess maybe it was wavering due to the pressure that by now Christianity was facing back in that day. So he's writing them, that's what the gospel of Luke is. The gospel of Luke is a letter to a guy, okay? It's a letter to a guy to help him out with his faith. faith. In verse 1 of Acts, Luke tells Theophilus that in his first writings, what his purpose was, he wrote all about to tell him what Jesus had began to do. Here's all the things Jesus began to do, and here's all the things he began to teach. Now, though, in the book of Acts... He's, he's, he's writing to tell, tell Theophilus what he's continuing to do. Here's what Jesus continued to do, okay? This is after I just wrote you that first. You could actually call this book the book of Acts, the book, I'm sorry, the, you could call the book of Acts, the, sorry, I'm all over, the book of Acts of Jesus. You could call it the book, because some of your Bibles, I don't know if you have a verse that says the Acts of the Apostles. They'll say, and that's fine because the Acts, it's a lot. We're going to be reading about what the apostle did. But really, you could call this the Acts of Jesus part two. That's a really good, that would be a good definition of the book of Acts. It's part two. And we're going to see what, how he's still working. Notice in verse two of Acts one, Luke tells him that all these things that Jesus did, all through his life, through his death for sinners, for his victory over death, and including all the things that he did for the next 40 days after he rose from the dead, all these things, Luke tells him, were done through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's going to be key here. Everything that he's, he's saying, listen, everything that was done, was done through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, it really is true that probably of all the gifts given to mankind by God, of all the things that he's given us besides salvation, really, really there's none greater than the presence of the, of the Holy Spirit. None greater. It is, the presence of the Holy Spirit is an amazing, we're going to look at that in a little bit. It's, it, and it really, here's, the, here's the, I want to kind of get rid of some misconceptions here because the Holy Spirit isn't just some impersonal power that God makes available to us. I think we look at that, it's kind of like, like the force, you know, may the Spirit be with you. You know, kind of, I think we look at it sometimes that way. It's like this, this force thing that we, that we have access to and that's about it. But that's not true. Number three on your notes, the Holy Spirit is a divine person. A being with a mind, emotions, and a will. He is an equal member of the Godhead with God the Father and God the Son. Okay, that's important. The wording in there is important. Because now people often confuse, are confused, really, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit? I, I kind of understand a little bit about what he does, but what is the role of the Holy Spirit? I, I wanna, let's, let's look at some of these things. I even put them on a, on a slide for you just to be able to see some. For one, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is he convicts the world of sin. If anybody is convicted about their sin and realizing that, wow, I fall short of God's standard, the Holy Spirit did that. They did not come to that on their own volition. That was the Holy Spirit that did that, Okay. 
Next thing, he indwells the life of the follower of Jesus and seals and assures our security as God's child. When you sense, when you know that you, may, that you fall short of God, but you know for a fact, you know that you're still God's kid, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Hey, you're okay. I've sealed you. I've, I've, been, I've been given as a seal over you that you cannot, nothing is going to happen to take you out of the Father's hand. Nothing. Okay? His role is also to produce fruit in us, really fruit that combats the fruit of our flesh. We know what our flesh does. We know all the things that are the fruits of a, of a lifestyle living out of our flesh is, but the things of the fruit of the Spirit, you know, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These things, if you think about it in your mind, are really quite opposed to the things, if all the things you can think about that your flesh would do. Please go right against that. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He produces this fruit in us, okay? So really what you can say in, in many ways is the Holy Spirit plays an amazingly vital and powerful role in advancing the kingdom of God in our own lives and in the lives of the world. Huge role. And in the next couple of verses, we're going to see that Luke's points out the, pre, the prominence of, the role, of his role going forward, okay? He's going to really show us what it really means look, going forward, okay? In a sense, we're going to see how powerful and how prominent the Holy Spirit plays a role that we could actually call this book, a new title, The Acts of Jesus, Part 2, and the Holy Spirit, because that's really what this book is about. The acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in and through the apostles and the early church. That's what the book of Acts is. So let's look at verses 4 and 5. He says this, And while staying with them, Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus tells his disciples that just as he told them after he appeared to them after, after he rose from the dead, he already had told them this, that he will send the Holy Spirit as his father promised, he's going to do that. Now, this is which is interesting that what's this whole John the Baptist thing in there? Well, what this is, this is just showing that this is the very thing that John the Baptist's ministry pointed to. Remember John the Baptist was putting, dunking people in the Jordan River and baptizing them? But what he's saying, what Jesus is saying, that everything that he did pointed to exactly what's coming up. It was all pointing to something bigger. Okay? And it's, it is coming. What he's essentially telling these disciples is a new era is about to come. Basically, he's saying, get ready. Hold on. Something amazing is going to happen that you never would have anticipated. So the, the disciples hear this. They hear this information, and they, uh, they ask Jesus really what's probably the most burning question in their minds. After Jesus, what? New era? New thing? Something's happening? So this is what, look at verse 6. Look what he says. Look what the disciples say. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
Is this what's going to happen? So the apostles, they're assuming now that this is the time when the kingdom of God will be realized and the restoration of Israel's national and independence is going to happen. This is what it's going to happen right now. That Israel is going to be restored to supremacy and predominance in the world. They're just thinking, is this it? Is this that time? But that's not what Jesus is completely talking about here. He's not talking about there. He's talking about something much more powerful, much more inclusive. Look at verses 7 and 8. Look what he says. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is telling disciples, listen, don't worry about Israel, okay? Don't worry about Israel. All things are going to be put right in the Father's timing. Don't, don't worry about that. That's, that's, that's something else. God's going to take care of that. But what's, going to hap- what's happening is here, you're going to be given a greater message to proclaim. What he's saying is they're going to be witnesses or they're going to be heralds to the life and teachings of Jesus. They're going to be to testify of the message of the kingdom of heaven. This is going to be their new role. This is what they're going to do to talk about the reign and rule of God in the hearts of man, men and women through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what's coming. This is the new era. This is your assignment. And wow, what an assignment it is. Could you imagine being there and hearing that? Have you ever had someone tell you, listen, I need you to do something? And they start to explain it and you go, <gasps> you're like, what? You're asking me to do what? I mean, we don't see any of that here in this, but I would imagine that some of that had to be happening with them. They were just thinking, sweet, bring in the rule, bring in the rain. We'll walk along with, we're, we're in this. But said, don't worry about that. That's coming. That's, that's a part of all this. But right now, <laughs> I, got a, I, got some, I got something for you to do, okay? This is the mission that they were given. And here's the cool thing. He says that the great thing about this is they're, they're not, they're they're not going to be doing this all by themselves. They're, they're not going to have to accomplish this on their own power. They are gonna be giving, they're going to be given nothing short of a divine power in order to carry out this mission. Now, that changes to how someone tells you. Someone says, okay, so I'm, I want you to go, and I want you to go buy this, uh, this house for this guy. And, then, and you're thinking, I can't, I can't, do, I can't do that. And then. And, and okay, are you going to do that? Okay, good. Okay, here's a million dollars. Oh. Oh. No problem. Money's power there. I got that. But he's saying, here, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have you go do something. It's gonna, and you're going to have some power behind you to do it that, whoa, you are not going to believe what it's going to do. He's saying, what Jesus is essentially saying here, don't worry about the end of the plan. Okay? Don't worry about how things are going to end up. Be about carrying the message to the end of the earth. That's what I want you to do. These are your marching orders. And you guys, these are our marching orders as well. This is what we are called to do as well. In effect, in effect what's happening here is this mandate that Jesus is giving them right here is really the conclusion to the Great Commission. Okay, we've looked at that, remember? 
In Matthew 28, we looked at go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you. He says, that's the commission. Okay, now he's saying, this is the conclusion to that. Okay, number four on your notes. In other words, we are to be about making disciples of Jesus as we witness to people that he is risen in power and that his work on earth continues through his disciples. And the authority and power for this work is through the Holy Spirit. This is what our mission is, okay? This is what our mission is here. This is what Jesus is saying in all this. And I got to just say something real quick. This is in my notes, but I think a lot of times when we hear the word, we are to go and witness. If you grew up in the church, sometimes that can have a really weird connotation to it. I got to go witness. That might mean like, I got to go knocking on doors, you know? Or I, I have to, wit, witnessing means I have to have the four spiritual laws memorized, and that's really all I need to tell them. As long as I can get the information to them, then I'm being a witness. That's not what that, that's not what that means. Sure, those things are, can, be, can be included, but that's not what a witness, a witness is telling of what they know, of what they've seen, of what they've experienced. That's what a witness does. Sometimes witnessing to our friends, we won't get to anything about giving their life to Christ until maybe many conversations down the road. So often we think it's all about the end result. I, I still get caught in that. I think I told you that a couple weeks ago. I still get caught in that. I'm talking to someone I can sense, oh, the Spirit's opening up a conversation to talk about stuff. And my, my, where does my 50-something-year-old evangel- evangelical mind go to that's been in church all his life? It goes to pray the prayer. How can we get him to pray the prayer? That's just... That's what that does is that, of course, I want them to become a follower of Jesus. That's what I want desperately. But I also know that that's going to happen as they see that I love them, as they see that I care about them, as they understand the love of Christ, as they understand their sin, as they understand their brokenness, as they understand how that intersects with God's incredible goodness and grace, right? It's not about, oh gosh, we got 15 people to pray the prayer. Yes. There's nothing in the Bible about praying a prayer. Nothing. But there's a whole lot about giving your entire self to Jesus. Giving everything over, my dreams, my ambitions. You are in control. You're in the driver's seat. Whatever you say now goes. Whatever I read, whatever I'm told, whatever your spirit reviews to me, that's my life. That's what a follower of Jesus is. Not a person who's prayed a prayer. Now, if you prayed a prayer, don't worry about it. I prayed a prayer, and I know that it was, <laughs> that's fine. It's good. We want people to pray. We want people to, because the Bible even says with the words, with words, the things that we say, that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So those are good things. So tangent done. Okay? So this is our mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the life and work of Jesus. This is what it means to make disciples. This is what it means. So Luke ends this section. This is our last, our last couple of verses here. He, 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 he ends this part by showing how the disciples are one more time finally urged to be on mission. This is kind of their last little shove, okay? Look at verses 9 through 11. He says this. And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And now that as they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And said, men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you and into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So once Jesus, he, he makes their task extremely plain and extremely clear to them, he disappears, okay? He just disappears in really what was considered like a, a, a cloud of divine, kind of this divine presence that he just kind of sends up into heaven. And I'm sure the disciples are just mesmerized by what is happening here. And they just, they, it says they're just standing there looking and gazing and to have like, almost like, that it? Okay, what, what? They're just kind of looking up and just in awe, just their jaws dropping. But then it says, just then, two angelic, basically angelic messengers appear standing by them and ask them, what are you staring at? Guys, what are you looking at with your mouths open like that? What are you doing? And he tells them, listen, ultimately, he's going to return the same way he left, the same way he departed. He's going to, this is how he's going to come back. Really, essentially, what these two guys are telling him, it's time to get to work. Don't just stand there. You got a job to do. You have a mission to engage in. Let's go. Yet what we're going to see, we're going to see as the next couple chapters, as, as things fall out, we're going to see that over the coming weeks, this mission that he, th these angels are saying, get going on, is really fulfilled as followers of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are unified and are sharing life with one another with gospel intentionality by taking responsibility for one another's maturity in Christ. We're going to see things like you've, seen, you've heard of the verses that talk about where the Holy Spirit came on everybody and thousands of people got saved. And what did people do, start doing right away? They start hoarding stuff. So, okay, okay, the end is near. No. They started sharing everything. They couldn't wait to be together. They couldn't wait to eat meals together. They couldn't wait to hear God's word spoken together. They couldn't wait to pray for one another. They couldn't wait to be holy together. And that's what did it. That's what is the driving force behind this Holy Spirit engulfed community. Is what drives the gospel to go, even when it, though it's persecuted, to millions of believers in just a few hundred years. It's crazy. It's all, that's a God thing. So let me, I want to ask you again as we close, kind of wrap things up here and do a few points. How do we go about having the courage, wisdom, strength, and power to make sure that we are being the disciple-making people and a disciple-making church that God has called us to be? How do we do that? Well, in light of what we've just read here, I see three ways. There's probably, there's a many, but I see three out of these passages. Here's the first one, number five on your notes. The first one's, we need to remind ourselves again and again that God's method for changing lives is by the power of the Holy Spirit. In some ways, that's like a no-duh thing, I know. But I think we forget that. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by our human efforts, by our human plans, by our programs, or by perfectly worded presentations. Look at I went through the book. They should understand everything. I said everything right. We've got it all figured out. Now, God can use that stuff, yes. 
For sure he can. But we've got to remember that it's the Spirit of God who ultimately does the work of changing lives. And I know I have to tell myself constantly when I get done talking to somebody and sharing my faith or just sharing, speaking the gospel in their life, typically when I leave that conversation, I go, don't. <laughs> you know, I do. I go, oh, I could have. Or why didn't I, you know, think that. That's the enemy coming in. Because reality is, I pray during while I'm talking. I'm asking God to help me. I'm a broken person, and I'm going to let the Spirit do his thing. And reality is, that's not my role to convince that person anyway. That's not my job. My job is to live out my faith and to speak my faith and let the Spirit of God do the rest. That's his job. I think we get so befuddled and so, and oftentimes we don't share our faith because we think, I don't share my faith because I don't know how to. Or I don't know what to say. Remember, Jesus says, you will be my not best lawyer on the planet to defend me. He said, you will be my witnesses. You're just simply to tell what you know. Tell what you've seen. Tell what you've experienced in your way. And how the Spirit leads. That's what being a witness is. Okay? Number the second part, second one. Second one is we need to remember that the power of God's spirit lives in us in order to witness to the truth about Jesus. Now, I know this sounds a little bit the same, but this is really different. The spirit of God lives in us. He indwells us. He's always there. The impact of this is that this should change everything about how you and I view every interaction we have with people. When we know that the living, the Spirit of God is living, indwelling us, we should be thinking every, to every opportunity we are with people, this should change how we think about being with them. It should kind of almost like a reset button. And this is to both believers and non-believers. When we're with each other, we need to be listening so that we can speak the gospel into their lives. We need to be, when we're with unbelievers, we need to be listening. We, a lot of us need to be better at asking questions and not just disseminating information. And I'm not talking about just about gospel. I'm talking about everything. Show people you're interested. But the best way you can know how to tell someone about Jesus is ask them about them so you can see where they need Jesus. Does that make sense? But unless we're together, also another piece of that is learning to be together and ask those questions of one another and learning how to speak the gospel into one another's lives. Immersion, being immersed in it. We need to be looking for opportunities to testify of the grace and goodness of greatness of God to those around us. And you know I'm not talking about just being a walking, you know, evangelical phrase thrower out or, oh, really? You don't know that? Oh, praise Jesus, I do. What? No. It's speaking the gospel in just the everyday stuff of life. Let me ask you, do you see yourself as a spirit-filled witness for Jesus? Because that's who you are. If you're a follower of his, that's who you are, meant to testify to others about what you have seen and what you have experienced of Jesus. And this isn't a forced thing. Okay, gosh, now I, now I, I already had so much on my to-do list. Now I have to go and be a witness as well. No, that's not, it's not the idea. It's not, a, it's not to be a forced thing. We do it out of our, our deep gratitude and our love for God that we long other people to know. 
When you sit back and you just think, oh my gosh, Lord, how much I love you. We were in our prayer time this morning and we were just thanking God and praising God for who I was. Why wouldn't I want everybody to be able to say that same things that we were doing? Why, why wouldn't I? I read a quote recently that says, we talk about what we love. We talk about what we love. A lot of people like to talk about themselves. But as followers of Jesus, we are to talk about what we love. So it's learning how, once again, see how, see how being in settings where we're doing that with one another, speaking that to one another, helps us then to in turn be able to do that as, in the, as we're in the world. That's why we need to do that. That's why we need to be in these, in these types of settings. Okay. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us to give us the courage to talk about who Jesus is. Listen to the Spirit. Invite the Spirit. I would say, I, I've been making it a practice. Every conversation I get in, whether it's a believer or not, I'm trying to remind myself to invite the Holy Spirit. He's there, but invite the Holy Spirit to help me to hear how he's speaking to me. You know, once again, it, it's, that has an impact on that whole weight that we talked about. Why am I talking? It really impacts that as I'm inviting the Holy Spirit. Help me to be sensitive to where, what your spirit is leading me to say to this person. Believer or non-believer, okay? Okay, third last one. The third way that we make sure we're being disciple-making people and disciple-making church, God is calling us to be, along with having that courage and wisdom, is to stop simply gazing toward heaven and get to work because Jesus is coming back. Stop gazing towards heaven. What I mean by that is, this means being, being willingly to, to possibly step out of our comfort zones in order to engage with people, both believers and non-believers, in ways that at first might be really uncomfortable for us or really unfamiliar. Doing things and, and putting ourselves in situations or being around groups of people or doing things within the church or outside, that wherever, that might be a little uncomfortable for us, but it just gets us from stop going Oh, gosh, can't wait till Jesus comes back. Well, we're off mission, to be on mission. We need to, be, we need to be doing these things. We need to be willing to defy the status quo when it comes to how we deeply engage with one another. Are we willing to do what it takes to engage one another in a way that will force us, in a sense, to be able to learn these things about one another and how to do this with one another? Asking ourselves if, if we're doing everything as a church and as individuals, to not only to provide, but also to participate in environments or spaces that intentionally facilitate helping one another to be better equipped and encouraged and challenged to be disciples, disciple makers. And here's the beauty of all this. But all the time when we're thinking about these things and praying about these things, reminding ourselves that it's ultimately, it's Jesus who leads us by the power of the Holy Spirit in our mission to make disciples who can make disciples. All right? All right, a couple questions. First one, what are some roadblocks to being disciple-making people or disciple-making church and or either one? What are some roadblocks we feel like that happen to keep us from being disciple-making people or even a disciple-making church? What do you think? Just something comes to your mind. 
tricky question. Hmm? You're at a roadblock, yeah. What, might, what sometimes can get in the way of us, of us really being the disciple-making people that we know that we, should, that we really are called to be? Or, like even, or, or a church. What gets us? Fear. fear. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Probably the biggest one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think so. It's fear. Busyness. <coughs> Busyness, yes. Busyness, definitely. Anything else? Yeah. We don't, it's not a priority. Yeah. Yeah. So it's lack of urgency. We, we, yeah, we don't, see, we don't sense the urgency. Yeah, yeah, good one. Good. All right, this next question. How does knowing that ultimately it's Jesus who leads us by the power of the Holy Spirit and making disciples encourage you or give you hope? How does this encourage you or give you hope? Knowing that it's Jesus who leads by the power of the Holy Spirit and not you. How does that encourage you or give you hope in any way? Yeah. Different type of confidence, right? It's not a, it's, and it's really a, it's really a, 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 a confidence that's not like, oh, I know, the confidence we're usually looking for, the confidence that I'm going to do well here. It's a confidence that knowing that God's going to do through me. And I can just trust him, yeah. That's good. What else? How does knowing that it's, Jesus leading by the Holy Spirit. So how does that? How, what how, that? So what that? So it's. What does that get? What confidence, or what does how, how does that help you knowing that verse? And he will draw them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're like I said, we're the witnesses. That's a good. I like that too. We're the we're the pointers. <laughs> we're the pointing. We're the we're. Yeah, it's it's not me you want. It's him. Yeah. Okay. Last one, real quick. Um, what might be the phrase I used, stop gazing toward heaven and get to work because Jesus is coming back, practically look like for individuals in the local church? Someone over here say, hey, stop gazing at heaven and get to work because Jesus is coming back. What are some, what are just off the top of your head, some practical things that that might look like? So stop being selfish. Okay, yeah, good one. Yeah, what else? Anything else you can think of? Well, he's telling us, hey, stop, stop navel-gazing and go get to work. What might that look like when it comes to the church or us as individuals when it comes to making disciples or helping other, each other mature in their faith and things like that? Be a fisher of men. Yeah. Having that mindset, Yeah. That I might not be an evangelist necessarily, I might not have that gift, but we're all fishers of men and women, boys and girls. 
<laughs> All right. Harder questions, I guess, today. Oh, they weren't? I sent them. <laughs> yeah. phrase peripheral the peripheral issues we with instead of saying what are the main issues we as a church need to be focused on what, what do we need to be doing as a church that's enabling us to not focus on that stuff so much and focus on stuff we just got done talking about so yeah well we're going to move into communion now and before we do that though I just want to I want to give just give you a little heads up that you're going to be receiving a little survey really short survey sometime next week um it's really meant to just get a barometer on what you think about an idea of as far as uh, how we might, as a church, facilitate these spaces where we can, once again, like we've been talking about, take responsibility for one another's spiritual maturity by learning to speak the gospel into our lives uh, in, the, in everyday situations so that we can help one another mature in our faith uh, and be on mission. So you're going to be receiving a little, uh, little survey, and I would ask, we would ask that you would uh, I'd ask that you'd fill that out and just get back to us, get, kind of get, get your a barometer reading of you all. So um, with that, if ushers are going to, uh, not ushers, but... Uh